Tonight's homily will be about the true meaning of freedom and how is it that we can find it in Christ. Because many people today would regard being a Christian precisely as the opposite of freedom. They would think that becoming a Christian implies somehow surrendering their freedom, giving it away, and being bound to a bunch of rules that narrow down their possibilities to think for themselves, to explore, and to enjoy. Moreover, they are afraid that their sense of guilt would grow, that they would constantly feel as though falling short of an impossible standard. They don't want to be told what to do. And even worse, they don't want to become bigots or haters or controlling other people's lives. We found this caricature of Christianity a lot among young people and maybe among not so young as well. And this fear stems from a caricature of Christian discipleship. Because in reality, following the Lord is precisely a path of freedom. He said explicitly so. He connected, Jesus connected discipleship with freedom. When he said in John chapter 8, he said, if you remain in my word, you will truly be my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. This fear of losing freedom if I become a disciple, does not factor in at least two especially important ingredients in Christian discipleship and also in freedom, quite honestly. The first ingredient is love. It's very important. In the first reading, God promises a new covenant. And this is a remarkable promise in which God says he will establish a new bond, a new relationship between himself and his people. This text of the prophet Jeremiah that we heard is unique in the whole testament. It's the only text that you will find speaking about a new covenant, because the covenant was core to the identity of the Israelites, the covenant that God celebrated in Mount Sinai through Moses. But Jeremiah, in the name of the Lord, speaks of a new covenant that he will celebrate. He says, I God through Jeremiah. I will place my law within them and write it upon their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So the law of God within our hearts, written upon our hearts, as if I picture as if we could have them tattooed, if you want, in our hearts. The commandments, the word of God, the will of God imprinted in our hearts. And the tool with which God wants to imprint his law in our hearts is love. The love of God that is poured into our hearts and makes that work. In fact, the Old Testament have some texts that somehow foreshadow this. When the psalm says, for example, the law of the Lord is my light, is my life, is my delight. The Holy Spirit, the love of God into our hearts, will write the law of God in our hearts from within. And when this happens, 
then we begin to want to follow the Lord's commandments. We desire to live like that. And maybe a poor analogy that we can think of is when a young man dates a woman, often his friends think, oh, we lost him, poor guy. Now he's bound to this woman, has to follow all these rules, he has to call her every day, visit her, you know, be faithful to her. There's no more fun for him, he's tamed. But the young man is happier than ever, really. He doesn't see himself in that position. That's how his, his friends regard him. But he's very happy that he found the treasure, a pearl of great price. And he's waiting to call her every day and so on. So love follows the rules through which the relationship is preserved and nurtured, so to say. Love has its own logic that you don't get, understand or get from outside that realm of love. And love implies commitment, for sure. It implies fidelity, truthfulness, caring for each other, intimacy. It implies saying to the other, if you are sick, I will take care of you. I will tell you the truth. I will be loyal to you. We will spend time together. I will prioritize you over others, and so on. But this aren't rules, are they, if you love the other person? They spring, they come, they stem from the presence of love in you. If you take love out of that dating relationship, then the picture that you get is pretty depressing. And that relationship becomes suffocating and becomes kind of like a burden. So if you feel this way once in a while, if you feel that your religious life is too much driven by rules, maybe you need to be renewed in love. The good news is that this already happened. So this prophecy of Jeremiah is not for the future. It happened on the cross. And then when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit in Pentecost and is renewed, it's time to come to mass. He wants to do this in us. He wants to renew us in love and to imprint his word in our hearts so that we will want to do it out of love. Love runs, flies, it's quick. When we don't have love, we become, we, we, we are moved by this sense of duty, but it's always slow and not enough, kind of mediocre. We need it, you know, in times where we're very low, but it's not enough. We're called to love, to love God for sure and to receive his love. So we are approaching Holy Week, the, the week of the year uh, from, from the perspective of our faith. It's a very good time to be renewed in love, to, to be attentive to what is gonna happen, to you know, go to the celebrations, to open your heart and to ask this grace from the Lord. Lord, renew me in love. As I am seeing you dying on the cross for me, lifted up, renew me. As I'm seeing you washing my feet, renew me in love. As I'm seeing you, you know, creating the Eucharist for, for me, renew me in love. As I'm seeing you resurrected and glorified, renew me in love. So love is an ingredient of discipleship as an ingredient of freedom as well. The second ingredient is discipline. 
without discipline, we achieve very little, right? No, no need to explain much at this point. You can think, for example, as a, as a, of a musician, a pianist, for example. We have great musicians here. It takes a lot of discipline to become a good one. You have to practice a lot. You have to follow many rules, you know, musical rules. And it's only after you became very good at playing the piano or the violin or whatever that you can improvise, that you can somehow push some limits and express something new as you, as you play. You don't begin by breaking the rules. You begin by following the rules so that you can break them at a higher level, so to say, and be creative. And sure, you could say, I want to be spontaneous. I just want to do whatever I want. No discipline, no rules. But you will play noise, not music. Rules and discipline allows you to achieve a degree of virtue that frees you really to do something good and noble and worthy. Think about a soccer game, for example. We just played a soccer game with a bunch of guys this afternoon, and it has many rules. And if you don't follow those rules, then you cannot play soccer. You need those rules. You need the delimitation of the field. You need all those rules so that you can really have fun. It contains you so that you can thrive in that sport. Besides, lack of discipline makes us self-centered, bound to our emotions or to our urges of the moment. Discipline, order, structure allows us to play, to be creative, and to enjoy once we incorporate those in our life. The fact is that any human being needs love and discipline to thrive. You don't flow down to a successful life, but you swim upstream to it. Love is the motivation, and discipline gets you there. And freedom is so intertwined with these two ingredients, with love and with discipline. In any case, just to answer the first, the first topic, it is not true that we have so many rules in the first place in Christianity. Jesus boiled them down to two. He was very good at, at, at consolidating the rules. And he said, love your God with all your heart and your neighbor like yourself. All the rest are somehow related to these two rules. And if you give this basic commandment, you can do whatever you want. As a Christian, as a disciple, you can do whatever you want. You can be a lawyer, you can be a physician, a politician, a soldier, an athlete, a musician, a painter, a professional surfer, a plumber, a rock climber, a writer, a fashion designer. You can play jazz, be an astronaut, a cook, a decent mechanic. You can do whatever you want. There's so much freedom as we follow the Lord. We keep few rules. We are moved by love. We try to live a disciplined life so that we can do whatever we want in the service of the Lord. And the kingdom will advance. God gave us that freedom. Sure, he's calling us, but that's a play in which God speaks, will respond. There's a lot of freedom. It's a dialogue in which he leads us so that we can do something good.
It is not so complicated. Love God, pray, love others, not use anybody, respect yourself, don't abuse anything, and you will do good. On the other hand, Jesus says in the gospel today, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. We have to die to our selfish selves so that we can bear fruit. And love and discipline helps us to die to ourselves so that we can become fruitful and sterile. Because love always takes us out of ourselves, and discipline allows us to do that well. Remember that Benedict XVI, he wrote once that God made us free with freedom so that we could love. So that we could love. It's a means to an end. We could not, have, we could not love without freedom, by definition. You can, without freedom, you cannot give yourself to anyone or to anything. You, are, you, are, you cannot commit. You are bound to your passions, your urges, your needs. It's only through freedom that you overcome that and that you relate to someone outside, outside of yourself. You turn from ego in to ego out through freedom and love, through discipline and love. And this is a huge gift that God gave us so that we could be really human beings. How is it that he would take away our freedom if he gave us our freedom in the first place so that we could use it for him and for others? We need freedom to, to, to he gave us freedom so that, so that we would use it, so that we would choose. If you think about it, freedom is an open plane ticket that you can use to fly wherever you want. The only thing that you should not do is stay in the airport. You can fly to Europe, to Africa, to Asia, to South America, but don't stay in the airport. Use your ticket. Some people think that freedom is just to stay with your ticket in your hand, with all your you know, options open. You are supposed to spend it, to burn it, for the sake of an adventure, but also for the sake of loving others and giving yourself as you do that. Jesus says in the gospel today, I am troubled now, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. It was for this purpose that I came to this hour. This is a moment of freedom for the Lord. I came for this. Will I not face it now? This is precisely the purpose. We'll have a purpose. To wrap it up, Jesus on the cross showed us what radical love looks like. He committed himself to us to the end. He so loved the world that he gave himself up to be nailed to the cross. And because of that, because it's a sign of a radical love, an icon of a radical love, it's not greater love than that, he knew that he would draw many to himself. He said so. When I am lifted up, I will draw many to myself. And so it happened, and it happens today. We are drawn to the Lord, to the crucified Lord. And as we struggle to be really free, to break free from our addictions and from our weaknesses and from our 
selfishness, we should look up at the cross. It will inspire us to love more, to fight, to be more disciplined so that we can bear much fruit.